Hello, beloved listeners, and welcome to Snake People of the Movies, film criticism by people who actually like film. Join us as we dive into movies we love, movies we respect, and movies we wish we could unsee. It's the podcast where we talk about growing up and living queer, nerdy, and depressed online and at the cinema. <laughs> From the kids who cry over almost every space movie, it's Snapple at the Movies. I'm Maddie. I'm Helena. And it's just the two of us this week, and we're recording in Helena's basement, which is why I started laughing in the middle of the intro. Yeah, the uh, ceiling does be cre- does, does creak sometimes. Uh, there's, um, there's only so much I could do about that. <laughs> so. It's okay. We will make it... Make it work. Yeah, we're both in the same room, which, uh... <laughs> what, a, what an awful idea that was. <laughs> terrible Who came up with that idea? Um, it, it was, was me. A, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was more of a compromise of a, something we had, we just, just had to do. Yeah. The situation involved it. So it's okay, we'll never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see how it goes. We'll, you uh, know, we'll, it's been almost a year and we still haven't done it, so it's kind of amazing we made it this far. It's true. Um, what a weird thought that is. Uh, one year anniversary coming up in February. Mark it on your calendars. Yay! Um, yeah, so it's it's just Helen and I this week. Uh, we are doing a Helena birthday episode. Yay. We did one for Ezra, so now it's Helena's turn. Yeah, my birthday is in five days. Yeah, your birthday, I think, actually is the same day as the release date for this episode. Is it? Your birthday is the 17th? It's a Tuesday, though. Mm. No, uh, it's actually the same day as Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I got. I got mixed up about. It's easily, easy to get confused. Yeah, this is not a Star Wars episode because we already did one of those. Same resonance, but once we. But it's related. Yeah, we will have seen. Well, no, not by that time that episode comes out. But by the time the next well, episode, we will have seen the new Star Wars. Yeah, we'll talk Probably. about Star Wars on the next episode. Yeah. Um. I think this episode will drop after we see Star Wars, probably. Oh uh, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um. Maybe before, depending on when it just gets released. It doesn't matter. It'll drop on that day, is the important thing. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> Star so Wars. Semantics. How many of us have seen it? Um, speaking of things we've seen, let's, let's hit that up first real quick before yeah. we get into the topic. Um, so, main point that I don't share with Helena is <laughs> uh, I we my roommate and I are borrowing uh, her brother's Disney+. Plus. And uh, she and I just uh, mainlined all of the Mandalorian that is currently out. Hell yeah. Um, and obviously I really liked it because it was basically built for me. <laughs> it's a Western that takes place in space and it's specifically Star Wars flavored. Um, and those are all things that I love very much. So I we both really enjoyed it. Both of us were like, yeah, no, that was definitely worth it. I'm excited for the new episode to come out tomorrow, oh, actually. Good. Yeah. Um, how's, how's the Baby Yoda content? I spent the Baby Yoda is better in motion. Oh. As mu- if you love if you love Baby Yoda, still wait till you see it in motion because Amanda and I spent a lot of time being like, "Oh, baby napping," and like, <laughs> "Oh, baby awake now." Oh, oh, baby use force, force baby, baby <laughs> use force. <laughs> that was it. That was the whole time. That sounds amazing. Oh god, the puppetry work is very good. They don't they use puppetry more than just Yoda. Um oh, and it looks great. I love that kind of stuff. I'm so. glad that they're doing that. And yeah, not, for sure. Uh, which is kind of like I guess what they were doing with Last Jedi when they brought mm-hmm. Yoda back. <laughs> Spoilers for <laughs> Last Jedi. Um <laughs> It, like, be, like, veering away from 
CGI Yoda mm-hmm. as seen in the prequels. It's just, mm-hmm. it just makes more sense. But man, sense. they couldn't have done those sick flips to the puppet, could they have? <laughs> no, they couldn't have done his sick flips. But um, I think that what we paid for with the sick flips... Uh, but wh- what's, what? what's, what's the ec- what economics cost? metaphor that I'm looking for? We we uh, I'm I'm gonna lose it as I'm stupid and bad at math. <laughs> it's it's like the price um, of gold. It's gone down as time has gone on. Yes. When when that movie was released, we thought, oh man, look at those flips, and now we're like, was it worth it? it were was, the flips really worth it? It was fun to make bets on the horses, but in the end, we were poorer because of yeah. everything. Yeah, it wasn't worth it long term. It was a no. bad investment. It was a bad investment. Glad they decided to do it. Though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think. When all said and done, I'm glad they did it once. I wanted to be. I want to be. If I were to go back in time, I would and like take somebody's, kill somebody, and take their place. <laughs> Not just li- take somebody's place; they have to die. <laughs> I would like or trank them or whatever. I would like to be the person who suggested in the uh, in the writers' room for um, whichever one Re- Revenge of the Sith is when he does the sick flips, right? Yeah. Uh, for Revenge of the Sith, uh, he like, what if? And hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. What if? Yoda does a couple of, you know, sick flips. <laughs> Just a couple of sick, nasty flips. And this was around, this this would have been after the Tony Hawk uh, video game <laughs> was out. So when he, if he said... I mean, there were many of them, but many. yes, continue. But, but we're living in a post-Tony Hawk <laughs> video game world, so if he said sick flips, they would have had a frame of reference for it. <laughs> if only... Uh, now hear me out. What if we had Yoda do a 360 Christ air Ooh. with two lightsabers? Jeff, you know, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Peter. I really... <laughs> Jeff and Peter. <laughs> Names of our historical Sorry. counterparts. I wasn't thinking about... <laughs> I said Yoda doing a 360 Christ here, and then I really thought about it. <laughs> you can't give Yoda a skateboard. That's oh, too shit. much power. Oh, shit. Um, um, what else God, I was gonna, I was gonna fucking say something else, and I've totally forgotten it. Uh, what, what else have you watched? Oh, man. Does it matter? Yes, it yes, does. It does. <laughs> it does. It's very relevant. Uh, last night, we watched Contact with a friend of the show, Madeline, and mm-hmm. your parents. Yep. And then tonight, we watched First Contact with your parents. Yes. Well, because I told Mostly them what, your mom. What, movie we, what movies we were watching, and they are like, oh, we, put, we love both of those movies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know you do, because mm-hmm. you showed them to me when I was a child. Mm-hmm. So they stayed to watch both of them, mm-hmm. uh, because they love watching them. They put up with us talking the entirety of Contact. Yep. And making very, very rude comments about Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> we were very mean to him. Um, but it's okay. He but deserves he deserves it. it. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Also tonight, they put up with me making comments about the video game awards, which happened tonight, and the three of you all looked at me like maybe I had grown two additional heads. It's like, you only looked at me like I had grown one. They both yeah. looked at me like, there is not a word that is coming out of your mouth that is in a language I understand, except for Fortnite, Yeah, which I said more than once, and your dad was like, oh yes, I've heard of Fortnite, and I was like, it's bad, actually. That's That's... There's more nuanced things to say about Fortnite than it's bad, actually. Anyway, so that's what I've seen. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Dope. I believe uh, I also watched Contact and First Contact, not for the oh, first time. Uh, I believe last time we recorded, I was about to watch, or I said I was going to watch How to Train Your Dragon mm-hmm. 3. You hadn't seen it yet, but you were going to. I have now watched yes. it. Um, it was fine. It was good. It made me cry a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, there are some things about it that I really 
like that I think that those movies do really well. I just think that... And I thought this about the second one, too. I don't think that either of them have been able to quite live up to what was really special about the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Uh, I <laughs> spent money to buy the <laughs> Criterion Collection edition of All About Eve, which I also watched. Um, and it was amazing, as always. So that was a rewatch for me as well. Um, I also rewatched Before Sunset because I'm working my parents through all of the Before movies so that I can watch them and they can watch them for the first time. Uh, so we watched that one and, and I, I watched Marriage Story as well on Netflix. Um, and I, and I quite liked it. Okay. Uh, I just, I, the reason that I'm talking in this weird tone of voice is because the discourse around Marriage Story on Twitter has been, so uh stupid and exhausting that i'm now even questioning like did i enjoy this no i did i enjoyed this <laughs> the memes are funny though the memes are real funny when they're imposing dialogue into the one scene that yeah. some idiot stan was like <laughs> look at this two minute scene that comes at the end of the movie out of context and expected people to be sane and rational about it um Instead of being like, this is terrible. Why are they doing this? This is exposition. And like, you know, I don't feel like it's a movie that I need to defend overly much as I think it's going to do very well this year. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I like I'm not interested in defending Scarlett Johansson in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just it's been really interesting to see. <laughs> I don't know. I, as we were about to record, actually, I was scrolling on Twitter and came across somebody talking about it of like people assuming that they are smarter than the media that they engage with and making assumptions about this movie, this entire movie after seeing a two minute scene from it Mm -hmm. um, and searching being in competition with the movies that they see or, Mm -hmm. and and trying to find flaws in it, which is something I don't know. I think there's a lot more going against it than that in terms of, the online-ness of it all, but it's just exhausting, and I'm remembering why I hate award season <laughs> online so much. Yeah, I this is my first taste of award season was the Game Awards, and I'm like, oh, this is bad, actually. Yeah. Not excited for the build-up to that we legally have to participate in as film podcast people. Legally, yeah. I have to make lists for this now. Yeah, I've already started. I'm not excited. I've already started yeah. mine, and it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty... I mean, I've started a lot of list but i have started the awards thing and it's like i don't want to go into like talking about liking marriage story and thinking like this is a competently made movie like a more than competently made movie with some you know baggage to it um without people you know calling me rude names online which they won't do because i have nowhere near the yeah we popularity don't, yeah we don't have any clout so yeah. fuck yeah it's fine um it'll be it'll all be good but i'm just pre-exhausted yeah no i know me too which is why i just took a sip of wine (laughs) yeah i'm not excited for the star wars discourse not to before we get i'm not stoked to come out of star wars and be like saw it and then because here's the thing my thing with star wars as i think we all know is like it's it's a star wars i have difficulty seeing it as like a a piece of craft i think it is like 
I've never seen a Star Wars I didn't... I, there's very few movies in this life I did not get some joy out of, whether it was bad and I had fun or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's Star Wars, and therefore I'm gonna, I'm probably going to like it, you know? like, And maybe that's a, a big thing to say. But also, I know I'm going to be... Yeah, you know, I know myself pretty well. So I'm not excited to come out of the movie and have, uh, like, dude bros be like, it was bad because... Women? Question mark? Yeah. Or, I don't know. There's, I just, all three of the sequels have had such a conversation about them, and I do not wish to participate, and I will be forced to. Upon the stage of the internet, I will be forced to participate. And that's fine. Whatever, yeah, it's anyway. already started because of the- <laughs> It's already started! It's already started because of the comments that have come out about Last Jedi, and people are, like, re-attacking Last Jedi and Ryan Johnson. And, like, look- I'm not also going to get in the gravy boat of, like, defending <laughs> Last Jedi. My little gravy boat with the owl and the pussycat defending Last Jedi from the mean 23-year-olds who are online and have Tumblr bogs. Tumblr bogs. Tumblr bogs! I'm not changing that because that's more accurate. Um, you know, but it's 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 so frustrating. There are people that I thought I, I blocked that, like, I make the mistake of going on there. And it's still, there's, like, like, why do you have to be so uh horrible about this like it's fine to not obviously it's fine to not like a movie and yeah absolutely and, and less jedi i think you know my personal opinion does have some you know not my favorite flaws. star wars movie. yeah that are worth critiquing in many yeah. ways but it's they're so online about it all and it and it's sometimes i'm like do you have any like con- conceptual understanding Joy. of like interacting with people not on the internet internet. (laughs) Uh, that's a bigger discussion about being young on the internet and like having spent so much time on the internet and like we're in a very nice position where we kind of get to have even we were a little bit young i think for Mm -hmm. the internet at times um but there are people who people who are younger than us oof they are in a rough position and i have a lot of compassion for that and also uh fucking what's his bucket did say those things about like oh finn and poe aren't gay but don't worry they're we got you, queers. Wink, and I'm like, who said I, that? I would rather die than have you say these things to me. Um, uh, JJ, I think, mm. where he's like, they're not gay, but and then uh, Oscar, Oscar Isaac was like, man, that fucking <laughs> sucked, huh? And we were like, you're a real one. I like watching the video of him talking about how he would be kind of down for it because he was like yeah me and john boyega had chemistry and i really felt just like the that most was recent one yeah and I, where you can see like i mean obviously it's it's because he's also gotten older but like where it seems like he has visibly aged having to deal with the threat of he, disney snipers at his door <laughs> yeah he looks a little uh a little little downtrodden i yeah. would say um uh, and i'm like yeah you're a fucking real one you're a hero <laughs> but no literally it was i i've seen the I haven't I'm sure there's an interview somewhere that I need to actually like read to be more well informed of mm-hmm. but the quotes I've seen are basically very similar to what they did with Endgame that was like where you know don't worry like you know there might be other queer characters and it was that one fucking guy at the therapy session you know so I'm assuming we're gonna get another one of those uh those heavy hits and I'm like I'd rather you when you didn't put anything at all in there Rather yeah. than trying to, like, throw a jelly bean on the, f- like, I'm sitting on the floor and you throw me a jelly bean and you're like, look, representation. And I'm like. And it's a licorice jelly bean. Yeah. And it's like, eat a dick. 
Eat a bag of dicks. Eat a penis fish. I don't care about you. Like, don't, don't bring the penis fish into this. <laughs> it's uh, a nothing to you. That's true. That's, but, that wasn't fair of me. But be God's mistake and have to live on this earth God's with us. least favorite child. Uh, um, yeah, no, I just, I don't want these... It it feels uh, patronizing. That's what it is. It, it feels patronizing, and it's frustrating watching this discourse go around uh, with you know people like attack, attack, attack Ryan Johnson for you know the past couple of years, and then kind of treat J.J. Abrams as this savior who's going to come in. You know, I don't know. I haven't forgotten the second Star Trek reboot yeah, movie, J.J. Exactly. I have not forgotten your crimes, <laughs> J.J. This is the guy who did say, like, you know, he's given me some good things since then, but this is the guy who said, oh, yeah, uh, we put the scene of um, the pregnant woman giving birth to Kirk at the beginning of the first Star Trek reboot movie for an emotional core for, you know, the wives and girlfriends who are being dragged to see Star Trek. <laughs> and I have not <laughs> forgotten that he said that. Uh, and so, I mean, you know, people say things. And sometimes those things are stupid and they don't have to, you know, suffer eternally for them. But uh, the idea that we didn't kind of all see this coming and that Disney would somehow, you know, be out there repping for... I mean, it's the same kind of stuff that we've seen with the Martin Scorsese versus Marvel debate in the past few weeks where people are, like, coming after fucking Martin Scorsese, who is just, like, does not care about any of you people <laughs> sort of thing to defend like what they think i don't i don't know they're out there defending not just marvel but disney movies from mean mean martin scorsese <laughs> and it's kind yeah, of like another boot funny to me because it's like disney i, I just want to like put disney my hand on their shoulder you. and be like disney does not love you <laughs> disney doesn't need you they have more money than god yeah they have lawyers out the ass you are doing their work for them for free that's what capitalism is uh so i found this quote that's basically uh to me the fun of star wars is the glory of possibility so it seems insanely narrow-minded and counterintuitive to say there wouldn't be a homosexual character in that world that is that is the quote and i'm like yeah, that's the same vague shit we've been getting for the yeah, past several I don't. years. Uh, J.J. Like, Abrams confirms yeah. new Star Wars films will include a gay character. But what the fuck does... I don't... Yeah, that's that's the fucking quote, and it's like... Whatever. They just toss their phone uh, forward onto the bed in frustration. I have not forgotten your crimes, J.J., and I never will. So anyway, let's talk so anyway, about the thought of this fucking episode. The good, the good space. space movies. Yeah, so I suggested this theme Frontier. for my birthday episode. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go into IMDb and type the word contact into the IMDb search bar, the first two films that come up are the two films that we will be talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, which are Contact, made in 1997 and adapted from the Carl Sagan novel of the same name, and then Star Trek First Contact, which is a Star Trek movie, uh, <laughs> which we've talked about oh, briefly <laughs> in our Star Trek episode, which came out in 1996. Um, our Star Trek episode, which came out in 1996. Yeah, no, not our Star Trek episode. <laughs> the movie came out in 1996. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say, I'm trying to remember which number star trek movie it is um 
type, type, type away. Uh, well, what is it? The even numbers that are good or the odd numbers that are good? Well... Do people consider this to be a good one? Yes. Okay, great. It's the even numbered ones. Okay, great. So it's got to be an even number. Up, up, <laughs> well, up until, uh, up until Galaxy Quest stepped in and... Yeah, and then it said everything right. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this is the... Okay, this is the eighth Star Trek film. Okay. But the second next generation film and like the only good fucking generation next generation film um (laughs) yeah unfortunately oh you like how they keep sorry i'm looking at the wikipedia right now and they keep being like hey there's gonna be guys there's gonna be a new star trek yeah no well see it's interesting is that they've got two they've got got two on there for some reason they've got a star trek four directed by yes yeah i know noah hawley and then one directed by Quentin Tarantino, which will be his 11th film. The man um, keep keeps insisting that he will retire. Uh, he has not retired. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, retire, bitch. And he keeps he keeps making the movies. Actually, no, it'll be his 10th film, I guess, because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was his 9th. Um, 9th. 9th. Um, the man keeps lying to me and to us all about the time of his retirement Retire. from filmmaking. Uh, I don't want him touching Star Trek. I think that's pretty. F- I think that's an awful idea. Fucking obvious. Um, also, I just there's Carl Urban had an interview recently, and someone was like, "So like Star Trek, right?" He was like, "If I had a dollar for every time someone told me there's going to be a new Star Trek movie, I would have paid off my mortgage by now." <laughs> I think he specifically says, "Mate." If I had a dollar for every time. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> and the interview was like, fair enough, let's talk about something else. <laughs> yes. Fucking, I love Which him. Which, ha- which makes man. me so sad because out of everybody oh. out there, I think that Carl Urban would be the one most down to do another Star Trek And Simon movie. Pegg, I think, would be really stoked about it, Simon too. Simon Pegg would be super stoked. I, I mean, I think that all of them would be because yeah. I think that they like... It's, it's tough, I know, because... Even though he wasn't a huge character, um, Anton Yelchin, Anton Yelchin yeah. passing is, you know, yeah. made returning to it, I think, slightly difficult. difficult. But then there's also, like, the pay disputes. Oh, yeah. With, there was so much, so much mess. With the Chris's. Um, <laughs> the Chris's. <laughs> only one of whom they need to bring back, strictly speaking. I don't know why they were even talking about uh, Hemsworth. Well, they wanted to do some weird, I don't know, time travel they shit. They wanted to do possibly. First Contact 2, Electric Boogaloo. Wasn't expecting that you yeah, was gonna get that reaction from you. I thought, I thought I'd get a little more of a, a friendly face. Nope. Um. Anyway, so contact first contact that we're talking about. And yes, God, Star Trek movies. reboot. I miss you already. They're the two movies that I chose because they're both movies that I love very much. They've been around since my childhood. They're both very formative to me personally, um, in different ways, and they're both about humanity making first contact with uh, extraterrestrial species. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they handle them differently, I would say, in some yeah, ways. Yeah, they, they, we, they share, um, they share some similarities and, and some differences. The similarities are like the, the idea of the first contact we make is not the aliens show up and they're like, hey, what's up? <laughs> Um, it's like we we reached a milestone which allowed us to reach out and there was someone there who reached back mm-hmm. um which I think is if if I have to think about what a first contact may look like that is the idea that I like so much yeah um it it feels it if 
it feels very connective. It feels like what both of these movies bring home in that, like, First Contact is all about we are not alone and isn't that so joyous Mm -hmm. that we are so small and so insignificant because we are not the only sentient life. And isn't that something to celebrate? And isn't that something that is so wondrous? Yeah. Um, and makes us... I, they do that a lot in contact with, like, it makes us feel so small. And so insignificant. Oh, God, what is her line that's like, I, we feel small and insignificant and, like... In the in the deposition at the end of the yes. movie, how, um, how tiny and insignificant and uh, rare and precious we all are. Yes. Yeah. Which is, I think, the core of both of those movies, which I, I really, really like. Yeah. And I like... Espe- I think it's especially in point... It's especially poignant in contact, I think, because... Mm-hmm. There's so much, uh, the business of actually getting to make first contact because it's, it's twofold is they, they receive a signal, but so we should probably do a a brief plot summary. Yeah. 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 Sure. If you haven't seen either of them, we'll do Um, that. So the plot of contact revolves around Eleanor Arroway, who is a, a scientist, uh, played by Jodie Foster, who's like passion and focus is she's like an astrophysicist yeah who... she she focuses on making contact with extraterrestrial life like mm-hmm. l- looking for signals and looking mm-hmm. for possibilities mm-hmm. um and she has faced numerous drawbacks in her career from people who don't take her seriously who uh re- retaliate by pulling funding and making things very diff- difficult for her in the scientific community but she gets to the point with her team where she uh intercepts a signal coming from the star vega her and her team do and but just getting the signal and that that point comes about i want to say like half an hour 40 minutes into 45 the movie. minutes probably um and the rest the movie is two and a half hours long and the rest of it is they're trying to first of all interpret what the message means and second of all just get past all of the bullshit that is brought up by humanity's reaction to it immediately Mm -hmm. there's a like we need to militarize this project we need to respond with force they're obviously out to uh send us a doomsday machine and Mm -hmm. and lead us into destruction we need to know if these aliens believe in god like we can't make contact with a species that doesn't share our beliefs or something and there's a whole debate between faith and science and the false dichotomy i would argue between the two um, that permeates both her personal life and her professional one and the whole basis of making first contact to begin with. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a whole process. So, mm-hmm. so to have that all come to them telling you like, yeah, you do a lot of horrible things, but you do a lot of wonderful things too. And it's, you, you aren't alone. Oh, yes. And, um, amazing line that's like you have such wonderful dreams and such horrible nightmares yeah specifically a line that like i was crying for a lot of the end of that movie <laughs> but yeah. there's one line specifically it says um see in all of our searching uh we found the only thing that makes the emptiness worth it is each other yeah bearable uh that yeah, makes the emptiness bearable is ugh. is it each other or is it other people is each other yeah so it's yes. the first quote so the alien that uh, Jodie Foster eventually makes contact with tells her that like you know human beings are capable of such beautiful dreams and such horrible nightmares you feel so lost so cut off so alone only you're not see in all our searching the only thing we found that makes the emptiness emptiness bearable is each other um, which really is 
I, I, I really appreciated this watch through how much that reflects all of the stuff that she has been through in her life and feeling so cut off from everybody else and emotionally distancing herself from everyone because she's experienced such profound loss. Um, and then to make the most important discovery in the human history up to, up to that point and be told that the most important thing is that you continue to reach out to each other, not just to us. Um, yeah, it's really profound. Movie, yeah, that movie makes me cry a whole lot. And a lot of people were really mad when that movie came out and still to this day because she, spoilers, you know, she goes to she goes through all of this all this whole process of fi of finally building this machine with the instructions that these aliens have sent to make first contact and she does and the alien takes a form that she is comfortable with because it doesn't want it to be overwhelming for her and it doesn't reveal itself to her as an actual alien it reveals herself to her in the image of her uh, deceased father um who died of I think a heart attack, a brain aneurysm. Yeah, when yeah. she was very, very young, and it's very, very poignant. And I think and it that brings it brings a great. Sorry. Yeah. No. Go ahead. It brings a great tie around because right after he dies, you see a shot of her at the funeral, and she goes upstairs. And something they used to do together was they would do radio signals, basically reaching out to people across the country. And the first thing she does is she tries to radio her dad, yeah. who has just passed, and the first time she is able to reach out beyond the stars the first person she finds is her dad yeah. like weeping yeah weeping i was weeping it's really it's really important for her i think mm -hmm. to have that it's, it's a kind healing. of closure yeah. yeah um so i and i i don't know why people were mad about it like oh she like all she does is see her dad or something but i don't think that like i've seen first contact movies like close encounters of the third kind which is a, a fine movie um, where there are, like, actual aliens, I guess, which is the complaint or something. But it doesn't really... To me, that's not really always the, yeah, always the point of first contact. It's the process, which I think is the most exciting part about Close mm -hmm. Encounters, too, mm -hmm. um, that is really fascinating and interesting. And then you just have to find a nice conclusion to make it worth it. And I think that thematically and story-wise, contact does that, so... I also think, I actually spent a lot of kind of the traveling part of the movie thinking, oh god, she's going to see an alien, and that was going to be a letdown for me. I didn't mm. want to, because so much of the movie is not necessarily what are they going to look like, what is their culture, it's what what impact does this have on us? Who are we now? Where are we now? It's so much less about the aliens, and their, there is obviously talk about their intent, but it's more about... It's so focused on the humanity of it. It's not about, look at this cool alien we made. It's not about the culture. It's not about the melding of cultures. It's about how does not being alone in the universe change how we see ourselves in the universe. Yeah. And therefore, I think having it come back around to the we see the alien for the first time and it is um, a reminder of like her loss and her grief and like a healing moment and like what does it mean to be in contact with other beings in the universe well it means that we get to be whole mm -hmm. 
to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Yeah. yeah. How is that not poignant as fuck? Yeah. Oh, I didn't get to see five arms. Eat shit. Make it OC, <laughs> bitch. Get over it. Like... <laughs> That being said, the big moment that makes me cry in Star Trek First Contact is when they reveal what the aliens are that they make contact with, but that's also for a different reason than like, ooh, it's an alien, because... Well, that's because we know what we know what outer space looks like in Star Trek. That's yeah. not a surprise. It's not like a... First Contact isn't about... No, 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 go, go ahead. Um, first Contact isn't about, like what does being in space mean to us? It's a group of people who are looking back and also looking at, like, the Borg, and they're trying, they're defining, like, this is our, our history and what does it mean to be in a historical moment seeing it from the other side, and also what does it mean to have, uh, like, like humanity and not, like, it, I don't know, like, human nature and shit. To be, de- <laughs> to be deprived of that humanity the way right. that the Borg are. right. God, I do I want to st- I, w- I do want to spoil the end of First Contact just okay. for some context. That movie also came out like twenty years ago. Yeah. over twenty years over ago. Over twenty years ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so at the end of uh, Star Trek: First Contact, they never they do a really good job of never mentioning who the aliens are that they make first contact with, mm-hmm. and it wasn't ever uh, established lore at that point mm-hmm. uh, in the Star Trek universe. That's yeah. They never said, like, oh, we made first contact with blank. And what happens is they they make it, the start the spaceship lands, these dudes walk out, and then they they have like these hoods that kind of look like the elves and Lord of the Rings a yeah. little bit. And then and Zephram Cochran, who did, did like developed warp drive for humanity, goes up to them and they this guy takes off his hood and he's revealed to be a Vulcan and he has the Vulcan ears and mm-hmm. it's this triumphant swell of music when mm-hmm. he does it. That humans and, and Vulcans have always been yeah. since humans came into space intertwined yeah. intrinsically their histories are, are tied together which I made a crack about like the Vulcans were like we found this dog outside <laughs> and it followed us home and now we have to keep it I guess. Well that's the right. movie wanted you to make that comment because it ends with that scene of after they've made first contact, what happened? And which I really like because it could end with the Enterprise crew going off into space, but it goes back to Earth after this huge like first contact moment has been made, and he brings these Vulcans into yeah. a bar. He's like, "Have some human alcohol," and they're tentatively drinking it. And he introduces them to the concept of the jukebox and Roy Orbison <laughs> very loudly playing on the jukebox. The Vulcan stands up, startled at the loud music, sits back down, and slowly takes another drink as if to say, Oh, oh God. God. Oh, God. What have we done? Yeah. Um, but it is still a really poignant moment for just in-universe to Star Trek that this is a relationship that has been very fraught, mm-hmm. um, both personally and on a larger scale, but it was always like... It was always about camaraderie. Yeah. It's always about the two of them. <laughs> it's the Vulcans, whom I love so much. Yeah, makes me cry every time. Both like movies. like my status if you cry every time. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's kind of the 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 rough plot and first contact. More of the plot of that is like, oh yeah, they're they are chasing the Borg. They end up back to the day before first contact, and they're like, oh shit, we have to make sure first contact happens because the Borg want to 
essentially make it so it doesn't happen, so they could just take over humanity and change history. Mm-hmm. So on the Enterprise, they're dealing with the Borg are taking over the ship, and Picard is dealing with his trauma. Because he from... was captured by the Borg mm-hmm. several years ago mm-hmm. um, and assimilated into the collective, but kept as sort of an individual Mm -hmm. um and he was rescued from that um which is very rare and doesn't usually happen with people who are Mm -hmm. assimilated into the borg so he still has a connection to the hive mind of the borg um and he has obviously it's a lot of physical and also like mental trauma of losing his sense of self and causing the deaths of lots of people Mm Uh, because he gives them access to, like, I can't remember. Oh, it's Wolf Wolf 45359. I can't remember. Wait, are you kidding me? No. Sorry, that's the name of one of my favorite podcasts that's about, like, I was thinking about it while we were watching Contact, is Wolf 359. Is that the listen name to, of it? Listen to Wolf 359. Uh, no, that's me. That's me putting Wolf 359 into my brain. Okay, that's probably, we've talked about Wolf 359 a lot. Um, well, no, DS9. DS9. Oh, yeah. Well, 359. Yeah, no, no. Okay, so the big... The, the <laughs> Holy shit. Wolf three, the battle, I had no clue. The Battle of Wolf 359 is the, like, incepting event of Star Trek Deep Space Nine in which uh, Commander Sisko, who later becomes the commander of Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. loses his, his wife uh, in the Battle of Wolf 359, which is an attack of the Borg on this space mm-hmm. station. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the space station that Picard led the Borg fleet too mm-hmm. um so yeah so cisco has some mm, not too warm feelings about uh jean-luc picard for that reason not entirely his fault but, no but um, also not entirely yeah not his fault yeah, yeah. and okay. also like dealing with like his feelings of revenge and fear and like one of the people from the 21st century is like compares him to Ahab in this yeah. like really great scene between the two of them and it's he's never really processed or dealt with that trauma he's just kind of like lived with it mm-hmm. and he clearly has PTSD flashbacks in like the first scene yeah um because he's connecting to the hive mind and also mm-hmm. experiencing this trauma that he like yeah flashing back to his trauma that he had mm-hmm. it's interesting because i feel like and I can't say this is this is for sure, um, but I think one of the complaints maybe people had about First Contact was I think that in this show, Picard had in some way dealt with his trauma. So to see him reverting back to it was not reverting back to his trauma, but like had dealt with his feelings about the Borg in some way. Mm-hmm. So they felt like that part of it was resolved for him and to see it reopened again and be like completely new and uh like okay. yeah, fair that's what trauma's like, baby. Yeah. So from a storytelling <laughs> perspective, maybe, but like also, I don't, I don't think it's that big of a mark against the movie. Um, and it's interesting that they bring up the Moby Dick thing because in Star Trek: Wrath of Khan, um, there's a there's a moment where Khan quotes Moby Dick at the same while he's like trying to attack the Enterprise as well. Um, and revenge is a very, very big plot point in that movie. Mm-hmm. So it's something that comes up a lot in Star Trek, mm-hmm. um, using Moby Dick as a revenge reference when you need it. Well, it's I, it makes sense to me. Yeah. It's very Star Trek can sometimes be pretty literary. Oh yeah, and boy, isn't that one of the like 
biggest stories of feudal revenge that's ever existed. Yeah. Revenge against a force of nature, basically, that has no no mind and there's no point to it, and yet you do it anyway. Mm-hmm. I've never read Moby Dick. Neither have I. <laughs> it's okay. I have it upstairs, and I and I do plan on reading it. But that's, I mean, but she quotes it. She brings it up, and she yeah. is she admits to never having read it in the yeah, movie. He quotes it. He quoted Moby Dick, and I was like, oh shit, I have to read this book. Yeah, I know. Right? That was really good. <laughs> that was a really good line. I also feel the same way about how when Khan quotes it in the Wrath of Khan, too. He just says mm-hmm. something about from hell, har- hell's heart, I stab at thee, or something like that. I'm mm-hmm. like, that's Moby Dick. Never read it. <laughs> I don't need to. I've seen Star Trek. I've seen Star uh, Yeah. So that's the plot of Star Trek First Contact and Contact. Uh, Want to talk about uh, my man, Matthew McConaughey? Do we need to? Oh, God. Matthew McConaughey has an interesting role in Contact in that Contact features a lot of talk about, like, if there is other life in this universe, what does that mean to our relation to God? Which I think is actually kind of an interesting question. Yes. Um, And the way the movie handles it is pretty heavy-handed. There's not a lot of nuance, which is not surprising. It's a sci-fi movie. And the Robert know, Zemeckis kind of yeah. Hollywood, yeah. And a lot of in a lot of Hollywood movies, there's always a very strong line between the logic of science and the quote unquote frivolity of faith, which mm. is not how real life works. And I think that there's room for both. Um, but he plays essentially like the religious consultant for the Clinton White House, <laughs> which is such a weird thing to exist. Um, and one time he slept with the with Jodie Foster, who's the main scientist. Yeah, they meet. Um, they meet the very beginning of the movie when she's right, like when she's in like Puerto Rico. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh, you're a, you're a priest," and they but they but he dropped out of seminary school so he could fuck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> literally, that's literally, what, he, what says. he says. Not a big fan of celibacy. Yeah. Um, so they they do the nasty, and he yeah. like he's like, "Call me," and she's like, "No, won't." Also, he, my funding just got cut. Bye. Bye. He leaves her. No- he leaves his number in her little uh, cabin that she's got. She looks at it and is like, mm, don't think so. <laughs> anyway, bye. Anyway, bye. And then she runs into him. Well, he's seen later like when years later at the at the station in New Mexico because he he's written this book about technology and science and how yeah. it's Thomas Edison our, is a witch and how Thomas Edison is a witch and yeah and now we're losing our connection to God like he makes some interesting point about us being like disconnected and everything right because of technology but also it's it's in the like greater context it's of like losing our connection like- to a Christian God specifically um, which I think is part of the reason that this one of the reasons that the movie's initial relationship to faith is so heavy-handed is because it's very focused on one particular kind of faith. Yes, it is, is the, yeah. it is basically solely focused on, like, a a heavily Christian god. Yeah. Um, and it's nice because at the end they kind of find a middle ground where they both realize that their relation to their fields of study is all about finding the truth and all about finding interconnectedness and finding community in in some way or another it's all about we are bringing together people um and and finding meaning and finding truth so they they kind of find a really nice middle ground which is like oh this is what we've been waiting for Mm -hmm. but you spend a lot of the movie being like matthew please stop fucking talking yeah stop shut up (laughs) 
It's nice. You're so annoying. So many men talk over Jodie Foster or condescend to Jodie Foster in this movie, and it's really fucking unbearable uh, whenever they do it. Oh my god! Uh, but the, at the beginning of the movie, uh, after they sleep together, he tells her the story of like this is this is why I am the person that I am mm-hmm. about an experience that he had, and it was like oh it was God, and she tries to rationalize it to him and and say things like Are you sure that? You didn't just Which have does that experience. kind of suck. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like she's she makes some not so great, you know, points uh, as well. Um, like, do, are you sure that it wasn't just because you needed to have that experience? And he's like, well, right. blah, blah. and then later at the end of the movie during the trial, when they're like, you, she goes into space and she meets this alien. She comes back and it didn't record. She had a recorder on that was supposed to record video and and. It's there's nothing there. Yeah, her trip back through the wormhole erased apparently the static of the the it's image of the static. video. It's just yeah. static. And the way that they saw it, she basically just dropped straight through. She didn't like stop or disappear. She just kind of like dropped through the machine. So she yeah. was gone for eighteen hours, but they they looked like she was gone for like half a second. Yeah. Um. So they were like, then eh, well, maybe it didn't happen. Yeah. So the she has she there's a trial investigative trial. To, into the whole matter in which so, uh, somebody who <laughs> the national security advisor basically ends up running for congress or something yeah and uh and starts attacking her giving all these these hypothetical scenarios and asks like which which one is the most likely scenario the, occam's razor yeah. occam's razor you probably you, you may have hallucinated this whole thing but she responds by saying you know i had an experience that i can't describe or explain but i know that it was real and that i experienced it and she does have that moment with Matthew McConaughey's character in that where it's like, we technically what we both had was the same, mm-hmm. just in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, it is that that point is a little bit invalidated by the fact that the movie doesn't go out of its way to provide proof of God because that's not its purpose. But it does say like, no, no, no she went there. <laughs> the yeah, it does, which I do appreciate because you do spend this for me. I had a second where I was like. Are they really going to be like it didn't fucking happen? Yeah. And then at the end, they're like, so she did record all that static, but she did record exactly 18 hours of static in that half second she was gone. Yeah. And they're like, mm. hmm. <laughs> and then gonna, it cuts. Yeah. yeah. Never going to tell her about it. Never going to tell anybody else about it. Peace. Yeah. I guess we'll try this again in another 15 years or whatever. National security. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, points were made. We live in a society. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> and yet you live in a society. You know, speaking of interesting points, uh-huh. when was the last time you saw a movie where they literally cut in the current president? Yeah. They, like, they... green screened in the actual current president into the fucking movie instead of just making up a president. <laughs> they, they had <laughs> green screen images of Bill Clinton at a meeting, and Rob Lowe was at the other end of the table <laughs> playing a conservative. It was nuts. It's pretty... They did that with Forrest Gump. I think Forrest Gump was I the one to... Gump, they, they do that with a lot of uh, video of what... Of Forrest's accomplishments um they cut in the current president or whatever or like whoever's supposed to be the current president in the yeah. story of Forrest Gump yeah. um and that was a few years before contact i think that it was sort of this that was trend yeah. they were trying to do and i i don't think it's been used since then yeah cuz everyone realized how hard it was <laughs> yeah it's like this is and so, how weird so it is. not worth it it like took me out of the moment to be like that's bill clinton yeah. and i know his crimes <laughs> yep 
Um, they did it a couple times with Obama, too, I think, that there were a couple movies where they were like, here's, like, Obama on, like, the news or something. They didn't ever uh, be like, Obama's at this meeting with Jodie Foster. Yeah. They were just like, here's, like, clips of him on the news or something commenting on, like, this apocalyptic event or whatever. Yeah. But, like, I can only really think of, like, one or two, and I can't remember what they are. I mean, I'll be clear, like, they don't cut him into what the camera, what the movie camera is recording. They cut him into video recordings that are shown on in the movie right you're not looking at him in lot you're looking at recordings of him um which actually was a really smart way to do it like it except for that one shot that i'm thinking of which i was like i can tell that but to be fair i'm seeing it in 2019 so that's not fair of me um they actually they pulled it off really well it was just for me disconcerting to see it as a viewer in 2019 yes to know first of all how bill clinton's presidency ended yep um and also to be like this didn't happen while bill clinton was president (laughs) god i wish it had (laughs) god i wish it had just so we would fucking be in the future by now already wish i could be hanging out with an alien right now (laughs) um (laughs) i kind of am though but zinger what you're the alien you're you're an alien. I'm making fun of you. Oh, I guess that's a good joke. <laughs> My crimes, um, very varied and, and plentiful. Anyway, I like my favorite part about Contact. Sometimes is all of the fun, like discovery beats they do. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that I watch that even seeing it for the millionth time where I'm like, oh, this is gonna happen next, where I'm really excited. Especially watching it with other people who haven't seen it before. Like, this is so exciting they're gonna see this thing happen and it's new information. Yeah, I gasped aloud more than once. Audibly. (laughs) It was like, (gasps) what I realized. (laughs) It was great. It You you felt the thrill of discovery along with them, Mm -hmm. which was like so exciting. it's just so cool. Maybe I'm a science nerd, but like I thought it was very cool. No, it is very cool. I think, also. Um, and I liked that they didn't dumb down the science. Like there were moments where they were talking in clearly shop talk, and I didn't care. Yeah, because it's like I don't really know what they're saying, but I don't need to. I know that it's very important. Yeah, and I preferred it to if they had used something that is more approachable to the layman because it would have felt. Yeah, they definitely, from what I can read, dumbed it down from the novel itself. But yeah, which is fine. But fine, they didn't but... make it. Like, you know, they didn't make it super, like, uh, beginner astrophysics. Yes, exactly. Um, They're like, just trust me on this. Yeah, they didn't explain how the science really worked because they didn't need to. That wasn't the point. That wasn't the point wasn't being like, here's how the science works. The point was like, the science is happening. And you don't really understand exactly what's happening, but you know that it's very important. Just like most of the people who would have been watching this event happen. Yeah. They're like, I don't know what's happening, but I know that this is history yeah yeah friendship friendship (laughs) specific both of these movies have like very very cute like uh i read that initially as a picard and data which i'm sure also i'm gonna bring up well i mean yeah Um, best friends best friends yeah i have to go save my best friend okay bye bye okay um but both of them have such like grounding friendships for two people like ellie and picard who are both like in those moments relatively isolated as like the only people who understand insert thing here mm-hmm. really um and then they have like very grounding balancing friendships um like they have very good foils yeah i mean it's interesting cuz picard is kind of the very cool 
usually very calm and collected um, and rational person. And Lily, mm-hmm. who he who is a woman who is friends with uh, Zephram Cochran, the inventor of... Oh my God, we haven't even talked about James Cromwell with no. Zephram Cochran yet. Okay, no. we'll get there. Um, but she's friends with Zephram Cochran um, and she is transported aboard the Enterprise after she uh, sustains an injury. And uh, her and Picard meet and become friends and she's very much a more uh because of the world in which she lives in which is a post in the star trek universe post world war three sort like of five 10 years post world war three, 10 years like post world war three um very like used to having to fight and survive very hot-headed very um direct very driven very um you know, not so, um, not passive aggressive. That's not quite the phrase I'm looking for, but kind of like. She's not a politician. No. Yeah, she's she says what she means. And she's mm-hmm. the one who's able to bring Picard back to reality when he refuses to blow up the ship and. Um, Save the people aboard. Yeah. Because she calls him out, rightly, about wanting to just have revenge on the Borg um, and not let them win or have another win. And in the same way, like, in almost the opposite way, like, Ellie is very rational, a very rational person, but she's also very hot-headed <laughs> and very uh, tough and very direct. And her foil is, um, besides Palmer Joss, Father Palmer Joss, who was played by Matthew McConaughey, mm-hmm. um, is Kent, uh, who is one of the scientists on her team, Um who is he's he's blind and she meets him when they're in Puerto Rico and she brings him uh they they join together when they go to New Mexico to work for the very large array um and so he kind of is with her through all of the setbacks and all of the like losing funding and making first contact and making these huge discoveries and eventually her traveling through space and he's just this sort of calming presence in her life of like Ellie, <laughs> please, for the love of please God, stop. you need to come back to reality for a second. Um, and it's very nice. He's the one who realizes that underneath the initial like wave of audio, there's something else. Yes, he. The idea being that he can like hear some stuff in the um, in the signals that they listen to that other people can't always hear or know mm-hmm. how to listen for. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he does hear the layer of audio, and he's also the one when they uh when when ellie is about to travel through the machine to um (laughs) to vega her her video that she's recording to them back to the base is is all staticky and they're losing contact with her that he's able to hear her say that she's saying she's okay to go and that they shouldn't abort the mission um because he's listening for her Mm-hmm. Yeah. everyone's like oh what the fuck's going on and he's like everyone shut up i'm listening to my best friend right now she's okay you have to send her through don't you goddamn don't you dare abort this first contact mission yeah yeah um uh so it's it's nice that they have those relationships in there that like it's explicitly ellie and ken's relationship is not romantic um mm-hmm. but they still have that friendship there which i think is really refreshing and 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 like picard and lily's relationship could be mm-hmm like vaguely romantic like there's some kind of thing there but they don't it's like we have like we cannot do this right now we've just we've literally just met and, and also i'm about to go 500 years into the future yeah and we need to we need to fight these horrible aliens and stop them from stopping first contact yeah he's also in contact ken is like one of the only 
men who doesn't ever talk over Ellie. Yeah. Like, they have conversations. Mm-hmm. So like the point people. when he does finally does, does like, like yell at her, it's like, oh, no, this is serious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah they have conversations. They talk. Yeah. Because yeah. they both, I, the first thing that they, the first they meet, she's listening to, like, the frequencies of the stuff that's, like, bouncing back from space. So they're listening to see if anything's bouncing back. Um, and most people just kind of look at the audio waves and see kind of what's there. And she actually listens. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the first thing they, they kind of connect over. It's like, no, not many people listen. Yeah. Um, and it's really cute. It's, it's great, great because, because that, that listening, listening is the thing that enables her to make first contact in the first place. Because mm-hmm. she's out at the very large array underneath the telescopes listening on her headphones just, just to the signals. Mm-hmm. And when the signals finally reach that one Vegas signal mm-hmm. she like is able to instigate it back at the compound as well yeah or the compound the the, the base, base the base uh, uh, the facility yeah it's really cute it's really cute <laughs> <laughs> um, do we want to talk about James Cromwell yeah for sure he's so good he's so tall he's he's the tallest man alive I think yeah how tall is James Cromwell Google <laughs> your mom said he was like six seven or something um, did you say that? I said that. I could it? have been exaggerating. She did say, like, there's not many people who are much taller than, um... Oh, Jonathan Frakes. Mm-hmm. He's 6'6". Six, six. He's 6'6". Six, six. Pretty close. My man is 6'6". Uh, six, six. Yeah. Uh, that is very, very tall. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, his character in First Contact is, um... 6'3". Wow. <laughs> his character in First Contact is 6'3". No, sorry. Uh, no. no. <laughs> hey. Oh, he's so small. Uh, no. <laughs> now we're looking at Patrick Stewart's height. Sorry. We're just looking at the heights of various people who are on Star Trek. Um, no. So, uh, he, it's, this, First Contact also is interesting things to say about history, how history remembers us. Um, where his thing is that he's the first man who created Warp Drive. He's the reason First Contact happened. You know, 500 years in the future, they have high schools named after him. They have statues. They have 20 meter tall statues of him in that exact spot. And he's someone who, like, struggles with alcohol abuse and is a womanizer. And, like, is he originally started to create Warp Drive so he could sell it, so he could retire somewhere on a tropical beach full of naked women. Mm -hmm. That is a quote. Yes. Um, and so uh, I really liked the kind of forays into him being like, I I don't want to be a figure in history. Like, I'm not, everyone's treating me like a hero and I'm just some dickhead who who's doing this so I can make money. You know, I'm not worth this accolade. I don't like the way that history is remembering me because I don't feel like I, there's an overlay of I don't feel like I deserve the way that history has remembered me. Yeah. It freaks them um, out a bit, and they yeah. are a little intense with it. Oh my! It's meant. It's played off as a joke, but there were times where I was like, "Oh, this is making me so uncomfortable." They're, they take the prime directive out of its case, blow off the dust, oh, and yeah. promptly throw it out the fucking they window. Tell him. They're just. They just. They just like drop kick the prime directive in this movie. Colon. Fuck the prime directive. They tell him everything. They just tell him. They told him. You told him about the statue. Did you fucking tell him? Literally, like Riker. Like, did you tell him about the statue? Did you fucking tell him about the statue? He doesn't say. He doesn't swear. He unfortunately, yeah. Um, Jordan, it's and Jordan is just the like the fuck is implied. Yeah, I told him that he has a statue. Um, people keep coming up to him and trying to shake his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and he's like, I don't. This is too overwhelming, and this is not me. And I feel like. I think it's that it's that self doubt which is mm, relatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Stephen Cochran is to be a relatable character, where you know 
I can't see myself the way that you see me. And I don't feel like if I do this thing, it's going to go wrong now. Now that you've told me all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, they're in the, it's like Jordy and Riker and him. And they're in the cockpit getting ready to, to, uh, fucking go into warp. And they're like, Hey, uh, that light is on and he looks up and he smacks the box and he's like yeah don't worry about it and they're like oh. and both of them kind of realize like this is the man who sent us into space for the first like the into warp for the first time and yep. he's very like slapdash and why and like i love that that you know he wants to put on some rock music oh yeah he slams on some rock music and it, and it just it kicks ass it's so good <laughs> He's hungover. He's blind hungover he's, he's the a, first time they go to warp. He's a four alarm. It's a very human story that the first time you make first contact with the aliens, you have a four alarm hangover. And you're listening to rock music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the end, he gets to make first contact. And, and he makes out with a, a Vulcan. Yeah, he makes out with a Vulcan. So fucking funny. does not <laughs> happen in the... They, they shake hands. Oh, I see what they you're saying. Vulcan make out. Star Trek context. Um... Touching hands, hand contact in Vulcan culture is like extremely intimate. It's 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 basically if you touch hands, the palm of your hands together, it's like having sex, practically. Yeah, it's um, it's it's not a casual gesture, but they do the like live long and prosper thing, and he can't do it because there's some. I when I was a kid, I couldn't do it. I could not get my fingers to stick like that, and he can't do it. Um, so, he just, so he just reaches out his hand to shake hands with them, and the Vulcan's like, "Wow, all right, you're promiscuous. Forward, are we? I, I love, love this species. <laughs> <laughs> They're DTF, his, and they shake hands. But his face remains impassive as yeah. always. Which is why I was giggling when we were watching First Contact because I was sitting there thinking about right now they they fucking <laughs> First Contact was humans and Vulcans made out in front of God and everybody. Oh man! And the humans didn't re and like I'm sure the Vulcans obviously were like, okay, they don't know what this means to us, um, and there's no way to ex- this is clearly part of their culture, and there's we just don't have time to explain like, hey, this is like fucking to us. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe now. Maybe he was into that. I love. I love that we were Star Trek gave us that um, incredible thick idea that there is a species of alien <laughs> that to them touching hands is so intimate as to be akin to sex, mm-hmm. and there's a possibility that that could be misconstrued. Mm-hmm. It's like it's, it's like the fake so marriage trope good. and having to share a bed. It's like it's akin to levels of that kind of misunderstanding could possibly lead to romance star trek is full of shit that's like oh we accidentally got married on this planet because we didn't realize what marriage Mm. customs were yeah wow i'm just thinking about it (laughs) think about it and also the like literally it's in star trek canon that first contact with humans happened and they shake hands and it is canon that vulcans have find that like unspeakably intimate that motherfucker did it in front of all his friends he didn't even try to explain to be like hey this is actually like super intimate for us he was like ah fuck it i guess like all right well we're We're doing doing this this. he's he's (laughs) he's six six that's pretty fucking tall (laughs) you you see this motherfucker he's big as hell (laughs) going for that shake Anyway, so all that shit I said earlier about um, Vulcans and humans being like forever intertwined in history now is extremely funny. Um, <laughs> ain't it the truth though? Oh man! Oh my god! 
Look, there's a reason that, oh, you know, Kirk and Spock are the oldest mullamullaship uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. in fan history. Uh, please, mullamullaship. Um, Well, God, now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I'm not, I want to be clear, I'm not thinking specifically about James Cromwell the and that fucking Vulcan. No, I'm just thinking about Star Trek. I'm thinking about Spock and all of the shit that he has had to deal with know, his entire all life. The fucking bullshit that he's put up with. All of the. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> I, I am on this ship, and I'm surrounded by humans who are physically affectionate. All the time. All the time. My two best friends just won't stop touching me. <laughs> and I understand that for them, this is how they communicate affection. And for me, I'm dying. <laughs> at the beginning, at the beginning, he's dying. But he starts he to pick to it, it up. Yeah. Well, and that's why he it's... He is half human. He so. is half human. And then, I mean, amok time, of course. Mm-hmm. Being classic, mm-hmm. and he doesn't. They don't. They don't touch hands in a mock time. Please, that would be too much. But he does. Yeah, scandalous. He does grip Kirk's shoulders so very tightly. Yeah, it makes me cry. Yeah, and well, Wrath of Khan, of course, too. Mm-hmm. That's behind glass. But mm-hmm. <sighs> now we're just going to go on a tangent about Star Think Trek. Think about it. Listen to our Star Trek episode. <laughs> We'll do another Star Trek. Remember episode. that uh, scene in Star Trek Beyond where uh, Boat is like, "You, you would think that you like almost like me." And he's like, "I thought it was always obvious how much I respect you, or whatever." And we were all like, <gasps> "What?" <laughs> when I saw the trailer, and then that bitch ghosts him. Yeah, he ghosted him. He like got beamed up. <laughs> he's, he's like, like ah, "I'm gonna fucking die." He here. was literally like Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> he called him Leonard. He called him Leonard, yeah. Well, I always like, thought he was like, um, I had the utmost respect for I you. I don't have to tell you how much I love you, you fucking idiot. Cause you, I tell, you, cause you dumb bitch. I tell you every day with, in my own special way. In my own little Vulcan way. Hold on, I'm gonna see if I can find that quote. Um, <laughs> the bitches love Star Trek. Star Trek Beyond, when that trailer came out, and I realized <laughs> that half of the movie was going to be not half of the movie about like a quarter of the movie was going to be bones and uh spock are stranded on this planet yeah. together and they have to survive i was yeah, like fucking yes <laughs> oh it fucking ruled this is my moment um because that's always really good it's the good shit oh yeah and then spock the miserable will have no other no other medicine but only hope Desidor, and he's quoting shakespeare mm-hmm. that's my man Ugh, they had that moment in the cave. Oh. That all of these quotes are from the two of them. Oh, here it is. Um, and here I was thinking that you cared. Of course I care, Leonard. I always assume my respect for you is clear. The dialogue we have had across the years has always cut off Bones. It's okay, Spock. You don't have to say it. At least I won't die alone. And then Spock is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and Bones is like, well, that's just typical. Unf- that was in the trailer, and I remember sitting there and being like, Unfucking believable. It's gonna be great. This is gonna be anyway. So, so that's some Regency era romance shit. Is like you don't have to Rep- the repression. It's of it about all. the repression. <laughs> um. God, I fucking love Star Trek. I want to go home and watch Star Trek. Go home and watch. Well, it's gonna be too late when you get home. But no, I have to work at seven. All of the okay, quotes are literally. Good. It's all them. It's all. Them. It's all of them. Oh man. Anyway, so um. 
Oh God! Also, you and I remember this is getting back to contact. Mm-hmm. When you and Ben were talking about contact, I remember y'all being saying that line. That's like they should have sent a poet, mm-hmm. and I was like, I really okay. And then seeing that line in context, I was like, shut up, shut up, shut up, <laughs> shut up. It's <sighs> very, very good. Yeah. Um. And then also like awful waste of space. Yeah. Which for me personally was always how that's how I've always viewed the possibility of life as I was like there's way too much shit out there for there not to be like it is narcissistic of us to think that there is not some other form of sentient life. And maybe it's true maybe we're it like that's it but like that's just a lot of space isn't it? And yeah. so to hear that repeated line of awful waste of space is like very good. It's got me. I don't want to ruin it for you but on my last rewatch um, what struck me because her dad says that uh, in scenes when she's a little girl and she's and she's asking him about what he thinks about, you know, life on other planets. And he says the line that if it's just us, it could be an awful waste of space. And then the night that she meets Matthew McConaughey, she's like showing him constellations and everything and talking about how and basically just so excited. Like there's the possibilities of how many civilizations could be out there if you factor in all mm-hmm. the odds. Millions. I mean, there's millions um, and he says, like word for word, if it, you know, it, it would just it would be an awful waste of space. And she looks at him, and she, like she is like, I am going to sleep with this guy tonight mm-hmm. because he just right said now. this thing. Um, and I, you know, it's Matthew McConaughey, but I kind of understand. Yeah, in that moment, <laughs> I got it. The poetry of that is like, yeah, mm. yes, I get it, I get it. Um. I did yeah. think later on in the movie when he's got that better haircut that's kind of like fluffy and blonde and a little bit longer. I was yeah. like, if I grow up my hair a little bit more, I could rock that. I just so don't want to grow up my hair. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already suffering. He's, he's impeccably well-dressed in that movie. His outfits. Oh, he is. Once the he... fashions in contact are so good. <laughs> they're so 90s and they're so good. Once he like gets out oh, of man. the, like, I'm a... I'm not a real priest. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cool preacher. I'm a cool priest. Um, and he's wearing the stupid like Hawaiian t-shirts and khakis and stuff. Yeah. Um, and he gets out like I'm a professional person now, and he wears the nice pea coats and scarves, and he looks always Im- impeccable. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, like not in any other context, but specifically in the context of this movie, especially in that scene on the base where he's wearing the. What did you say? Like the soft, like sweater boy. Oh yeah, the look? soft depression sweater look. Yeah, like my my girlfriend is dying, so I'm wearing like a soft boy sweater. Yeah, yeah, and, and his like, hair oh. is a little mussy because he's he's got bangs because he's sad because mm-hmm. his girlfriend's going to space forever now. Yeah, yeah, it's a good look. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's a very good look mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. That's the scene where you guys started to forgive him because. He had pulled some pretty unforgivable oh shit. Oh my god, he was so annoying. And then he pulled, he brought Kent in. Yeah. He was the only one who saw Kent. And they were holding hands, yeah. yeah. To like pull him, to like pull him over so he could have a front row seat to like say goodbye to his best friend. And I was yeah. like, you can stay. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Fucking eye on you, but you can stay. <laughs> I like <laughs> You're how- You're thin fucking eyes, Matthew. I assume that they're in contact, LOL, in some way- <laughs> after the drama of the thank you after the drama of the trial scene but it's i think it's notable that you know they have the moment of reconciliation and like togetherness after the trial and then they cut to 18 months later when she's She's back back at the arrays back at the arrays and um 
Oh, I can't remember what his character's name is. I think it's Fisher. The guy who's always smoking a pipe. The guy who's the guy is who so like fucking is funny like your me. character. Yeah, my always... dude is stoned the whole time. Yeah. Well, the other guy is specifically very stoned the whole time too. Yes, both more of them are of stoned. They're just different kinds of stoners. Yeah. Um, he's there, like watching her give this lecture to these kids, but Matthew McConaughey is not there. Specifically, not there. Yeah. And I and the scene afterwards where she goes back to the cliffs to look out at this the vastness of you know the canyons and mm-hmm. of space mm-hmm. i was thinking as i was watching it like there's another movie somewhere in an alternate universe that's a much worse movie where this scene we see him matthew mcconaughey walking towards her and like speaking to her at the edge of the cliff and they are like, both wearing <laughs> wedding rings or something yeah. yeah and they're making out or whatever the fuck and in this movie it's not it's a very quiet moment of her just being with herself and her certainty that she knows where she knows the experience that she had. The same place where she first heard the sound, it kind of comes yeah. full circle. And she's she's back there, but she's not feeling alone anymore. Yeah, um, yeah. So even though that no, even though nobody else is there, she's not alone. She's not alone. Mm-hmm. So thank God that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. That would have been that would have sucked. Um, hooray! Didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. God, I wish I, I I wish I knew a tight little ribbon to wrap this all. Up in love Star Trek, love mm-hmm. space, uh, like my status if you cry every time, mm-hmm. um, and that's it. <laughs> Is that it? Be gay, love space. Be gay, love space. Uh, I guess these two movies are in their own way a unusual. They are an unusual. This is an feature. unusual double feature uh, episode. I think. Yes. Oh, we didn't talk about Data. Oh, we didn't talk about Data at all. I love Data so much. He's legitimately one of my favorite Star Trek characters. Oh yeah, no, he's my le- legit. He's my okay. <laughs> okay. In We're talking about okay, 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 okay. Uh, in every single Star Trek show that there is, my favorite character, incidentally, like I didn't plan this, but it always ends up being the character that has the hardest time uh, showing their emotions. So, oh, mood, yeah, oh, worm, so, yeah. <laughs> so, original series, my favorite character is is Spock. Growing up, my mm-hmm. favorite character on Deep Space Nine was Odo. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I love Odo. Growing up, yeah, well, yeah, and rest in peace to Rene Aubergine. Yeah. who died recently. Mm-hmm. Um, he was amazing, and mm-hmm. his body of work is incredible and extensive. Vast, yeah. Um, and uh, on Voyager, uh, my favorite character was Janeway. <laughs> who is a kind of a combination of the two. She has a really hard time, I think, because of the position that she's in. (laughs) My friend named uh, my car after Janeway, and I was like, nope, good. Good. I'm not changing Good choice, yeah. And, of course, Next Generation, my favorite character always, always uh, growing up was was Data. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've heard a lot of interesting opinions about people who have their favorite character as Data that I think are more about film... Not film bros, I don't know, like nerd boys who... I don't know. I heard this opinion from another podcast where they were complaining about that that kind of type of character mm-hmm. who is constantly on this search of I I need to know what humanity feels like and I don't know like like there was nothing to go f- to from there at that point. But mm-hmm. I heavily disagree. Of course, um, I think that Data is kind of weirdly the audience surrogate a lot on Star Trek because mm-hmm. he is wanting to discover humanity and all of these strange things for the first time um while at the same time being completely alien to even the characters on the show in many ways because he is an android and Mm -hmm. doesn't think like them Mm -hmm. um and doesn't feel like them and that doesn't stop him from trying either yeah um because i think it's very easy to sorry i keep interrupting no no um 
I think it's very easy to say, like, oh, we have a robot character who doesn't understand what humans feel like. And we're done. Yeah. And we finished. Something that really hit me is that, like, the, the Borg are all about perfection. You know, they're about mm-hmm. achieving perfection. Um, which, in for me, personally, in my life, I'm like, that's not achievable. But isn't it so great that we get to constantly better ourselves and we get to keep kind of striving towards a goal that is unreachable mm-hmm. because that means that you never have to stop you just always get to keep going and data said something very similar is like perfection basically doesn't exist like i'm going to i want to keep trying to be more human because that is something that is worthwhile to me but i'm never going to be human and that doesn't matter to me yeah i'm never going to be perfect because that that is something you can't have the joy is in the learning and learning how to experience it and and the experiences too yeah. that's something that's worthwhile in and of itself is is feeling that way yeah i think what i, I think in the what i was thinking of too is that that horrid show which shall not be named but we will just say the name for the sake of context the orville um apparently oh, has God. a <laughs> apparently has a similar kind of data xp character who is the exact opposite um and I, I think that he, like, hates humanity, basically, and mm-hmm. is constantly insulting it and saying, you know, terrible things about it, which I think is definitely the obvious Seth MacFarlane route to go when you, like, are responding to Next Generation. But I, and maybe it's this so-called cynical or so-called, uh, I don't know, like, adult version of that, but I don't, it's not interesting to me. I think no. that data's constant like wonder and um desire for an ex- for a new experience is more relatable to me personally even though i can be a, a deeply cynical person it's nice having somebody who um finds joy in experiencing even the tiniest things i think it's so. more fulfilling as well you know and it and it's it's you have a lot as for someone who's writing a, a screenplay or something you have a lot more room to work with that rather than, you know, my my one trick pony is I hate humanity and I'm never growing out of that. Yeah. Um, I think constant wonder and joy is so much easier to work with mm-hmm. and so much more enjoyable to work with. Like yeah. what a what a that's such a positive thing to kind of be able to do. And that's something that you can bring always bring that fresh perspective to any scenario Mm -hmm. um and there's a lot of room for humor there's a lot of room for for thoughtfulness you know one of the characters that i made up with my dad when i was in high school one of the like bits that we used to do was the man who's constantly surprised by everything (laughs) all these years later that is still a funny bit because you can always find something to be to like the mundane can be exciting again there was a great moment in this movie early on where they're they're they've gone back in time and they're seeing the phoenix which is the ship that uh cochran mm-hmm. uses to make warp drive with and picard is touching it and he's saying like this is so cool because i've only ever seen this in the smithsonian and data is is like so does touching it like increase the pleasure of the experience for you and he's like yeah there's something tactile about you know something that adds to the experience of it and Data also tries to put his hand on the machine. He's like, mm, I can sense the flaws in the in the machine yeah. and like everything like that. And Picard's just like, shh, shh, just like, yeah. And Data's it. like, that doesn't make it feel more real to me. I don't understand. And Picard's like, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. That's the other thing too is everyone on the on the ship, at least you know later on, is kind of Data's like, I don't. This doesn't like I, the math doesn't really work out for me here. Yeah. Like this, I don't. This doesn't make this feel more real to me. Real to me. I don't get it. And they're like data you just wouldn't get it he's like no that's okay yeah 
That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, it doesn't have to. Yeah. I think there's something certainly about, and from what I can tell from Seth MacFarlane type comedy, the comedy that he has written, there's some there's a certain type of school of comedy that gets joy out of characters constantly uh, living in disharmony with each other and being mean to each other and and you know I also watch shows like Veep so there's a certain point if you're writing intelligently about something where there there can be really good comedy that comes out of that um, but there's it doesn't really work for a show like Star Trek, which I'm not saying that Orville has to be Star Trek. It's still a terrible show. Um, but no, there's but something... It, clearly, that's it's hard to make a show like that that doesn't feel yeah. like an homage in some way. And that's, and that's not part of the ethos of Star Trek is that they don't, you know, treat each other like that. I don't know. Or there's an attempt to get along mm-hmm. and there's no comedy or no joy to be had out of people saying like, oh, I hate humanity. Laugh track. Laugh track. And that's that's the whole scene. That's the whole joke, you know. Um, yeah, I love I love data. <laughs> I love data so much. <laughs> I, I love that he gets like human flesh, and he gives it up, and you know, because he's like, that's not really what makes you human flesh is on, you know, blah blah. Exactly. Blah, yeah. Um, and Picard's like, did you think about taking her offer? And he's like, yeah, for like point zero zero six seconds. But to Android, that feels like an eternity. Yeah. You know, and it's so, so sweet. It's so like, I just love Data so much. Yeah. I think he's such a nice spin on like the robot Android character because he's not like cold. Mm-hmm. He like sometimes things don't like click for him. You know, he's like, I don't understand this emotion, but he's not like heartless mm-hmm. um that he that he does still tries um which for for an autistic person who the comparisons are frequently made to robots because they are cool like they're cold and uncaring mm-hmm. um to have an android that is not like that is always oh, just so refreshing yeah it's so nice and it's like sometimes you don't understand those emotional pieces but it doesn't make mean you don't care or like that you're like unfeeling or like boring or one-dimensional or like just like i don't know yeah cruel yeah yeah because i think a lot of times robot characters can be like they end up coming off cruel which is like that's not that's so i i don't know i get bored of that yeah it is boring (laughs) yeah it is not like i can't think of a better example in media of of an android that is like that than data Mm mm-hmm I mean, there's a, I mean, I, and I think that his character is very enduring and popular for good reason. Yeah, because um, he rules. <laughs> he rules. <laughs> Poor Brent Spiner didn't get out of the grease paint Tin Man makeup for a very long time, and I'm I sure know, he has I certain know. feelings about that. But it's, he's also a really that good poor actor. Man probably had breakouts just like out of the wazoo. Oh my god, he um, suffered for his art. He suffered for his art. It's a good thing we didn't watch Nemesis, Star Trek Nemesis, the mm-hmm. movie in which Data. Uh, fucking dies oh i would have hated that yeah yeah it's, it's rough buddy mm-hmm. um but it's a good th- but i think in the picard series there's going to be a data um from what i, I would understand. like that very much i don't oh, i have access to uh to cbs now oh good we have ac- we have access to cbs through z yes so. star trek cards santiago cabrera's in it i forgot <gasps> about that neat very neat. Love that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle Hurd, Allison Pill. Love that. Harry Treadway. Sexy. Good cast. This is a very good oh. cast. 
Could have sworn. Oh, Jonathan Frakes. So good. Oh my god. Riker and Troy. Yeah. Oh my, Excellent. Oh my god. Seven of nine. Oh. Data. Oh, oh my god. Oh the gang is no. all here. The gang's all here. Almost. Yeah. Not all of them. The gang the gang is it's got a little dog. Gene oh. wrote a bunch of it. He's got a little doggy. He's got a little, little puppo. Oh man, I'm so excited. Yeah. Tentatively tentatively because I, I you Hesitantly know, excited. It's yeah. A, it's not a reboot, but it's a sequel no. series and of yeah. course I have to be tentatively excited. About everything in life. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I also just love Star Trek so fucking much. Yeah, I am love Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> There's a video of me as a baby, um, which I don't think I've talked about on the podcast yet. Yeah, you you know the one I'm talking about. <laughs> you can see the wheels turning where I was like, the video and I was like, Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm in the bathtub and uh my parents <laughs> love this bought video. a it's so good. <laughs> they bought a bu- I'm like, I don't know, like you're relatively one or two. young very yeah. very young um not quite comfortable you can't talking be in one. front of you've the got to ca- be like two two I, I guess i must be two um talking in front of the camera there's a earlier baby video when my dad tries to make me recite the alphabet and i just I completely ignore him i want nothing to do with him <laughs> um my, my parents bought me a bucket <laughs> that had um all of the characters from star trek the next generation on it and i was playing with it in the bathtub you know just like playing with the water you know mm-hmm. and I, I think it's my mom uh, is filming me and she comes up and she's like who are who are those people and i'm like pointing to the bucket and she was like Dad. yeah who are they and i go around and i start naming all of the characters <laughs> to star trek the next generation i'm like oh that's worth data that's that's this person that's picard um i couldn't quite quite say all their names obviously mm-hmm. and i couldn't say Riker at all so i think i it sounds like i'm saying cracker um yeah. same, and at one point i just point to somebody i'm like who is that who is that yeah because that particular intonation of who is that was an in joke yes. in our friend group in high school who is that who is that what is that? I didn't know. <laughs> Who was it? Was it uh, was no it Troy? Fucking clue. I don't know. Some ran- random person who was probably only on for a couple seasons. It may have been something like Pulaski or something. I don't know. They wouldn't uh, have put Pulaski on a bucket. <laughs> I don't no, know what I'm saying. Um, Probably no, it wasn't Troy because I do. I think you do say Troy. Troy. Yeah. yeah, I'm like I know who Troy is. Fuck yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, Troy. A toy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love Star Trek a whole bunch. <laughs> we love... Your mom asked me earlier if I was a Trekkie, and I I was like... I was surprised by that. It's like, of course. <laughs> Ma'am. I wouldn't... Have you met me? <laughs> I, I would not be showing this movie to you without I... context if you were not a Trekkie. Do I, do I not have, like, an untouchable air of the kind of nerd who would like Star Trek? <laughs> I feel like I do, but I don't know. Maybe not. I feel like it's an aura sometimes. You yeah, just know. a cloud that mm-hmm. follows me. Mm-hmm. I like anything that's got star in the first half, and it's a two-word title. <laughs> star, star. Yeah. War war. war, war. War, war. Yeah. War, war's a rough one, man. Is that the note that we're going to have to end <laughs> this episode on? Star, star. War, trek. War, trek. Star, star, trek, war. My OC is Star Trek War. (laughs) 
find me on Star Trek Online. This is an interesting episode. <laughs> is there anyway, anything else that we want to say before I'd... we hop off this? I don't think so. Jump off this horse. Oh, stop this train. This runaway train. Um, no, I don't think so. Space is good. Yeah, um, watch both these. I would recommend both of these movies. I think Contact and First Contact was good, kind of two in a row, because like Contact for me was pretty heavy. Yes. Um, and Certainly. I cried a lot, and First Contact was a little bit more like actiony, so it was a nice like palate cleanser a little bit. But I still was like invested. Yes. So I think that that was a good. That was the way I did it. That's the way we did it. But you could do it either way. That's what I I planned it to. Not just for that reason, <laughs> mm-hmm. also, but. Partly because Contact was uh, a bit longer, but also I was like, this movie makes me cry a lot, so (laughs) we're going to watch this one first. And then I want to go hang out with my my friends. Yeah. My buddies in Starfleet. My friends, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hello, Wiker? (laughs) (laughs) I said that briefly when Helena's parents were out of the room, and I killed us both with it. (laughs) This is terrible. Borg. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, that's the end. <laughs> that's it. Bye. No. Um, so, so thank you for hanging out with us uh, here on Sneeple at the Movies from the Infinity Break Network. Check us out at infinitybreak.net for more awesome content and come hit us up on Twitter at people underscore snake or shoot us an email at sneepleatthemovies at gmail.com. Our amazing music was done by Johnny Ronaldo, who you can find at Johnny Ronaldo on Twitter. And our super snazzy logo was designed by Bethany Luthold. You can find her at bethanyluthold.wixsite.com. That is Bethany, L-E-U-T-H-O-L-D dot W-I-X site.com. If you've got a subject you want to hear us talk about, a movie you absolutely think we need to see, or admission letters for all of us for the Starfleet Academy, come say hello. Um, also, if you can, still, obviously, um, leave a review on iTunes, uh, share the show around with anyone who you think would enjoy it. We're now a couple months out from one year anniversary, so we're kind of planning that <laughs> episode extravaganza. Um, it's been really cool seeing, like, the stats from, like, Spotify about, like, who's been listening to our show. We've got some, like, international listeners, which is really cool. Um... But, you know, we we still really appreciate if you know people who like movies or even just, like, like listening to some friends talk. Um, we really appreciate it. And, like, come come say hi to us. Come say hi. Come engage. <laughs> um, engage. Yeah, it's... <laughs> this is this futile? No. 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 You can d- do whatever you want, I guess. Um, but we would appreciate it anyway. So, um, as always, thank you for listening. And we will see you at the movies.